0: Your mightiness, Lord God, your love, your desire, Lord God, to press in towards our heart. Lord God, we want to be receptive of every single thing, so therefore, Father, we ask you that you would remove any burial that would get in the way. We ask you, Lord God, that any hindrance, Lord God, that desires, Lord God, to prevent us from knowing you and knowing your desires for our heart, Lord God, that they would be removed and they'd be struck down in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray for the very mind in here today, Lord God, that it's uh, resistant towards you, Lord God. I'm praying that the power of your Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord God, would allow that barrier to be struck down, Lord God. Again, strike it down, Lord God. We want to receive you and your fullness today. We want to say that we love you, Lord. We ask you that you would touch us right where we need it, And even when we don't think that we need it, we ask you that your word would be strong in our hearts. We love you today. We receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've often thought whether or not if a, one of those crazy squirrels that I see ripping and running in my yard and digging holes and jumping on this and that and in the trees and on the roof of my house, I often wonder if they ever get up in the morning time concerned about if they're going to eat. I often wonder whether or not that occasional possum that strolls across my back patio and looks into my house in the evening times, I often wonder whether or not if he's concerned or she's concerned, because I don't know the difference, whether they will get enough to eat. Recently, last weekend, as a matter of fact, we were. Uh, someone came to cut our grass, and he had pretty much finished our grass. I was not there; my wife was there, and she. Uh, they heard him screaming in the back of my yard, and uh, come to find out, he was screaming because he was being attacked by bees. Uh, he said he didn't know where they were coming from, but he had to get from out of it. He said there must have been at least 100 bees. And, uh, and I went back there the next day and uh, discovered that there was a hole in my ground where the bees were coming out of in the ground, not hanging on a tree, not in the corner of a house or a piece of wood, but in the ground. So I went back there, and about 20 feet away, I had two cans of wasp spray, and I stood about 20 feet away, and I sprayed this stuff in the holes. I said, I know that got it. So when it was over with, I, I kind of walked kind of close and the bees were still coming in and out and in and out and in and out. I'm like, well, that didn't work. What am I going to do now? So the next day, uh, I walked back there and I discovered that where the bees had made their home, there was a giant hole about the size of a basketball or so maybe a little bit larger than the basketball. Then I noticed the dirt. So it looked like one of the one of the wild animals had gotten back there and they had dug away, I guess, trying to get the honey. These are not honey bees, these are wasps, right? But they had dug away at the at the wasp nest trying to eat the, the, the comb that was actually there. And in that case, I was able to spray them and eventually kill the entire nest. So that wild animal, he wasn't concerned whether or not if he was going to eat that day. I don't think he was anxious. I don't think that he was afraid, running around shaking, as opposed to saying that uh, I'm not going to get anything uh, to eat today. What am I going to do? Oh, me or mine? Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. You know, do they spin in in, in the wind, concerned as to whether or not they will eat the birds? Are they concerned about that? Jesus says they're not concerned about it. What about you? What are those things that you're concerned about in your life? I mean, you name it, you go straight down the list. What are they? Some people can say that, well, I'm being prophetic, but we just look at human life, and we know there are certain things that people struggle with, like family and finances Things that we are afraid of. Things, quite frankly, that keep us up at night, like our children. Wondering about their future. Wondering about, uh, recall our children when they were small. You know, Are they going to talk on time? Are they going to walk on time? Are they going to crawl on time? Are they going to eat? regular food, always concerned about all, are they going to get out of diapers, right? Are they going to get out of kindergarten, out of first year? You're always concerned about a lot of different things. In our passage today, in fact, the Apostle Peter is going to address this idea of anxiety. That He is going to address this fearfulness that we have in our life because God wants us to be strong. He doesn't want, want us walking around as scaredy-cats. He wants us to be solid in him and solid in his word. However, we're going to get there by talking about humbleness first. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. Peter says here, verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. If you are a believer, you cannot get away with not being humble. (laughs) I'll say it again. If you are a believer, you cannot get away with not being humble. If you're a believer, in other words, you're supposed to be a humble person. We have dealt with this idea, this subject matter, if not directly, but in a roundabout manner, Uh, repeatedly in 1 Peter. Of course, it was not always mentioned or spoke of or introduced as the word humble, uh, but oftentimes the word humbleness is injected in the word of submission or subjection. But before we begin to work through these two verses, verses 6 and 7 in fact, I need for you to ask yourself a very important question. Here it is. Ask yourself, am I humble? Am I humble? Now I know that I have not provided you with any type of background, no information about the word humbleness, but based on what you know and believe the meaning of the word humble uh, to, to, to mean. Uh, Does that describe you? Now, if you say that, oh yeah, I'm humble. Now, I want you to ask the person that knows you best. I want you to ask your husband. I want you to ask your wife. Or if you're single, ask your best friend or or those who know you, you best, maybe a sibling. Now it is clear that this characteristic, a very significant one for the believer, that the Lord constantly invites us to see if we walk this way throughout Scripture, either in a positive manner, or He comes after us when we are not humble. In fact, look at Second Chronicles chapter 36. Not Corinthians in the New Testament, but Chronicles in the Old Testament. You find this after 1 and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings, then 1 and 2 Chronicles. The 2 Chronicles cap- chapter 36, verse 12. Chapter 36, verse 12. And the passage reads as such. He did what was evil in the sights of the Lord, all caps mean Yahweh, uh, of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Going deeper into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we also discover that there are repercussions for anyone refusing to humble themselves before the almighty hand of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Again, he's speaking to the children of Israel. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So for an entire nation, God was looking for humbleness. God was looking for humbleness for an entire nation. What do you think happens to a nation that is not humbled before God? Something to consider. Then for those who humble themselves, there is a wealth of blessings ready for you. If you're willing to humble yourselves before God, that God wants to bless you. Here's one that you know, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 14, you remember where Chronicles was because we just came from there. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Many of you know this very well. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see, God is saying that if you are humble, then one of the characteristics of your life is that you would seek the face of God. If you are humble, you are to seek the face of God. And then as you seek the face of God, you will turn from your wicked ways. Then the passage says, then, you see that? You have an if and you have a then. So if you... Humble yourself, then he says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Something for our nation to consider. If you humble yourself, God says he's going to hear it in heaven. So while he's in heaven, he is going to hear your prayer. He's going to notice your humbleness and he will forgive your sin. And even heal a lamb. And then in James chapter four, verse six, James chapter four, this is a New Testament now, uh, verse six. Scripture says of God that He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to whom? to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are you boastful or prideful before the Lord, or are you humble before God? So as we can see through these various scriptures, humbleness is important to the Lord, and it should be high on our list of spiritual priorities. If you have not given this much thought concerning humility, then why not? If you're not humble, why aren't you humble before the Lord? Why have you not even considered how you in humility should walk hand in hand as it pertains to our Christian walk? Now, humbleness is carried over, if you recall last week's message, from the shepherding of God's people and the need for his people to have humility in relationships. Remember that? Go back and look at verse 5 in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Remember that? Peter says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Here it is. Uh, Peter says it again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you see that? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we therefore believe we should only display humility with the Lord, uh, I'm just going to maybe not, I should say, not be humble before the Lord, then you are mistaken. Humility is not only in regards to the Lord, but also in our relationship towards one another, he says. This is what Peter says there in verse 5. Close, yourself, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards another. So if you think you should not have humility, you're wrong. You should have humility, humility. If you think you only have humility towards God and that's it, you are also wrong. We are to have humility with God and with people. As I told you before, you know, when we do church life, there are times that I submit myself to those who are in leadership. So when you see our worship leader leading us, the church, in worship and she tells us to stand, I also stand. In humility, submission to our worship leader. I submit myself. So depending upon which ministry that you may be involved in, uh, there are times that you have to show humbleness. You have to understand this is the way the church works. There is no a uh, one giant shepherd in the church the only giant shepherd in the church that we know of is Jesus Christ himself can you say amen, amen. so now what exactly is humbleness it means to make low or become lower lower to make low or to become lower now uh, the problem with humility is that uh, some of our thinking in our society today, that when humility comes across, they say that that's nothing but a sign of weakness. Some would say, "Uh, they're being being humble, they're weak, that's what they will say. And some of you know, you know that when you're in certain places, you try to show humility, you know that humility is a sign of weakness, and certain places that you get to act bad got to, you got to act like at least, even if it's not true, that nobody's going to mess with you. Can't be humble in certain situations. But however, God says that he desires us to be low at times. No, not low as if you're nothing. Because we all know that we're something in the eyes of God. Amen? You know that you have value before the Lord God Almighty. He created you in His image. He loves you. So you have value. Now, that does not mean, again, that you are to be lower than the dirt. Right? That's not what humbleness means. It means this idea That you're able to come before the Lord to realize that the Lord is more majestic than you are. It means that God is more righteous than you are. It means that uh, the Lord is more holy than you are. You see, one of the signs, oftentimes you can tell, uh, the proud, they will not submit themselves or humble themselves under the almighty hand of God. They'll say all types of negative things about the Lord. Oh, God, I'll curse God to, him fa- to his face. I, I've had people say that. And I've told them, well, you go right ahead, but I'm out of here. Who knows that God may allow you to drop dead right where you are. And, and Lord, you know my heart. As much as I love people, have someone curse you and they drop dead, I'm supposed to try to bring them back on top of it. Uh, Lord, I just may let them lie there. But I, I don't know that to be true, right? I love people. You know I wouldn't do that, right? Amen? I, I would never do that. I would try to help them out. So therefore, we should display humbleness before the Lord. Uh, one of the reasons why that we should have this characteristic if we say we've been saved by Jesus Christ, if we say that we are the sons... Daughters of the living God, if we say that we have been made in His image, now saved because of Jesus Christ, because this is the way Jesus was. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah, again Old Testament, but the prophets now. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coal, the foal of a donkey. And by the way, I'm reading out in a new King James Version because they translate the word as lowly. Right? It's not that he was the dirt, right? Jesus was not that. This is... And if you don't know... Uh, the connection between Zechariah and Jesus Christ. Uh, Zechariah 9 and 9 is a prophetic utterance as to the future coming and the future person of Jesus Christ. Because we know this is to be true. The king is coming. He is just having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. Did Jesus enter Jerusalem on a donkey? And the answer is what? Yes. Lowly is another way of saying humble. Yet, however, uh, there is another line of thinking which is steeped in the philosophy of positive thinking, which in some religious quarters uh, there's an attempt to equate uh, positive thinking with uh, the promises of God. Right? However, positive thinking falls short in that it includes subject matter that Scripture doesn't intend to address and never intended to address for the future. So when you think about promises of, of God, or this idea of humble, yeah, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be positive, I'm not going to be lowly. I have to think about what I'm going to do because when I think about what I'm going to do, it's going to happen. Got to keep my mind. I can't get low because when I get low, can't ride high. Right? That's positive thinking, right? That is a philosophy, and I'll say it again. It is a philosophy. Positive thinking in, in, in that va- realm is a religious philosophy that is steeped in the secular. Steeped in the secular. But then also to be a humble person, it connotes a positive outlook on this good and desirable uh, moral value, uh, while at the same time suggesting, if not uh, properly framed in in a biblical light, that uh, one becomes a flatterer. So if you're humble, oh yeah, I'm just humble before the Lord. Uh, Some people can say they're humble, and they are not really humble. Your humbleness is indicated by the way that you live your life and not by the way that you talk. Trust me, if you're humble, everybody knows that you are humble. Have you ever seen a person like that before? Be able to talk with them, and you know they're just really, just a a sweet, humble person. There are some people like that in this world. But again, this humbleness is not steeped into being a a, a flatterer or a yes-man or a yes-woman or a yes type of body language and talk. In fact, uh, the Greeks, uh, they despise most idea of prostration. Or humbleness. Uh, the Greeks didn't want anything to do with this. This is one of the reasons I believe that Peter and Paul they addressed these issues over and over again because of the culture was steeped in Greek philosophy. You don't humble yourself before people. Know who you are and be strong. Don't prostrate before no one. This is Greek thinking. But also in the mind of African Americans, some of us know the history between our country. In the slave trade, I once uh, read a book by Miles Davis, and it, uh, this one thing that he said in his book, it, it had a huge impact on me. And one of the things he said, he says, once he became the person that uh, uh, he knew, basically knew who he was, he says that he would not walk around smiling at anyone. of the uh, the opposite race. He wouldn't smile at anyone. He would tell people exactly what he thought, he said, because those days are over. And oftentimes that, uh, that landed him in jail, sometimes with a billy club upside his head. That impacted me. I remember reading that one day and I said, you know what, never again will I ever go through the alley or the back door anywhere to get on stage, I'm always going through the front door. And for many, many years, that's what I did. I always went through the front door. Even, you know, sometimes when a leader would tell me, well, the, the stage entrance is where uh, all musicians are supposed to go. i say, I don't care. I'm going through the front door. Because I never, in my mind, because of what I saw in life, I never wanted to be degraded. But then I learned that, you know, a portion of that kind of made sense, Right? So sometimes you start doing things and you don't know what you're doing. Amen? Can you say amen? And then I start being hassled. And then when you start being hassled, you know what? I'm going through the alley. Forget all that. I, I just gave up it. I'm like, I'm tired of all this hassle. It doesn't make any sense at all. So we live and we learn. So if we are to be free in our life, uh, one of the things that God points to, he points to the fact that we need to be humble. In Senegal, the Senegalese, they begin learning what it means to be humble from a very early age. Sometimes what happened in a Senegalese, uh, a family unit, when it was time to eat, uh, basically there's one dish that sits in the middle of the floor, and everybody sits on the floor. Right? And you have this dish, all this food is kind of mishmoshed together. Uh, and, uh, and then you would eat, everybody would eat the same, you know, not the same fork, But whatever fork you put in your mouth, right, that's the fork that you put back in the community dish and you eat it. But the children were only relegated to eating around the dish. They could not go into the center of the dish that they had to wait. And then as an adult, you can only eat according to what forms a triangle in front of you. So if there are 10 people sitting around this dish, your triangle might be that that big. About from nothing all the way to about five to six inches, right? That would be your triangle. And if you were hungry, this is the lesson that would be taught, then you had to sit there and you had to wait. For the children, if you wanted some of the good stuff in the center, you had to wait until an adult dug up there in the center and and threw something on your plate. Some of us, that requires Humility. Just to wait, because you know some of y'all, y'all be here. I know this is my triangle, but I'm gonna go ahead and just put a little, just a little curve over here, because I'm still a little hungry. You want to venture out beyond your little triangle, uh, beyond your space. So, as uh, in an early age, children they had to wait. So we can see how this idea of humbleness and subjection continues to run through the book of 1 Peter and if you haven't gotten it yet maybe you will hear what the spirit is saying to us now the spirit wants us to be humble the spirit Spirit wants us to be in subjection towards one another and towards God so being humble is good being humble is good can you say amen to that You you see, being humble is good and it is a desirable attribute for the believer. It's okay. And you can still be confident. You can still know who you are but still be humble. We are not above our master as we are not better than the Lord. Only the Lord has a reason to be boastful in himself as he is God and God alone. And I was reflecting upon as our service was open today how elder davis had mentioned the fact that god doesn't need us to worship i mean that really for some reason that really just really struck in my head today and you know god he doesn't need us to worship you know god doesn't even need nature to worship why because god himself is sustaining he can worship himself god can worship himself then why do we need to worship because He desired to create us. And in His sovereign mind, He created us as beings that will worship the all-eternal living God. God can worship Himself and mean it. Why? Because He alone is perfect. In Him is all sovereignty. In Him is all omnipotence. For he is all-powerful. Now, if, if this is true, then how do we stack up or measure against those attributes and standards of his righteousness? Jesus invites us to join him in a great eternal celebration. But because he did this, this is how we should respond. Humility. Living our life in community. Luke chapter 14, verse 18. Eight and nine. When you begin to think that you're all bad and a bag of chips, read this here. This is the Lord's desire for us. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Look, when somebody invites you to a wedding, when someone invites you to a nice affair, just go ahead and sit all the way in the back. Amen? Can you say amen? There are some people, I'm not sure if you know, but I know some people, they always want to be in the front. I'm like, well, y'all go ahead. I I don't even care. Y'all just go y'all go right ahead. Uh, For a period of time in my my life, I did care. How come I'm not? How come, you know, because I wasn't I wasn't all that humble at a period of time, but now I I could care less. I can be in the back. I don't even have to be in the picture, as a matter of fact. Jesus says that. Do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you embarrass you. Right? Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him and he who invited you both will come and say to you, get your butt up and you go all the way in the back. Right? Give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. In other words, you're going to be humbled. If you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. So again, don't think that you're all that in a bag of chips, because you're not, we're not, I'm not. It is by the grace of God that both you and I go, so remember it with confident humbleness. Why should men and women be humble? Because the Lord wants to exalt us. End of verse 6, 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What is the reason why? The scripture says, so that at the proper time he may do what? Exalt you. God wants to exalt. You're not going to exalt yourself. Let's get that straight. You are not going to exalt yourselves. You see, self-exaltation means that you're like God in that manner, and you are not God. The only way that you and I will be exalted, only if God exalts us first. But know that your belief in life in Christ is not in vain. Your belief in life in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it is not in vain. I know that it's hard sometimes, but God wants to exalt you. This is fascinating because there's no one holy like God. There's no one that deserves the praise like the Lord. So why would he want to exalt us? Ultimately, it means that we have been made in His image again. You hear this over and over again. But of those who are, of us who are in Christ, that we, are, we exist covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, God sees you, but He sees His Son, whom God the Father has exalted. And because God the Father has exalted His Son, you will be exalted as well. Therefore, with humbleness, we are to submit ourselves to the power and the will of God in our life. So our passage says, however, at the proper time. Ah! says, at the proper time. Uh, some of you may think then, when is the proper time for this exaltation from the Lord? Well, it is a time that is hidden in God's mind and in His heart for a time in which He will reveal uh, when He gets ready. Can you say amen? Yeah, there are certain things that God allows us to see. Certain things that uh, we can understand. However, uh, understand uh, that certain things are locked or hidden in God's mind for a later time. One thing for sure is that there is an exaltation waiting for all of us in heaven when we get there. Can you say amen? So on the one hand, when someone that we love passes away, we can cry and we can grieve and we can be sad. However, those uh, uh, that we know that are in Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus will exalt them on the other side of this existence. And for that, we can say hallelujah and we can say thank you, Jesus. You see, they're going to be exalted one day. And so will us. You see, part of what we do here in church it's not only to spread the gospel throughout to the other parts of the earth, but also how we can live to learn how to die. Striking. Because we're all, unless Jesus Christ comes back first, we're all going to pass away no getting out of this. I don't care how much money you get, right? doesn't make a difference. We've all got to go this way. But in Christ, we know we have that confidence. In Christ, we know we will be exalted. In Christ, we know that we will live again at that proper time. That proper time, that moment in the near future, however. So it's true of later, but it may be true of now as well. Some of you may have struggles in your life. There are times that you have wondered if you would ever have an opportunity to experience the fullness of God's love in your current state. You know, will he exalt you now? You know, Lord, I've been struggling in a lot of different areas, and I just want to see your hand. And again, it's not positive thinking, but it's based on your faithfulness towards God. I've, I've seen some people that are way, way, way more holier than me. Or you for that matter. That they love the Lord and they dedicate their, their lives to Christ, praying day and night, and are poor. They're poor. So if it's true that if... I simply say these words, then why isn't it true for them? Someone said, because they really didn't believe. Well, you don't know that. No, I said that they really did believe. So you have struggled and cried and tarried and begged and screamed, and some have even ridiculed their faith. You've been faithful to the church without any uh, present result to the astonishment of no viable or visible change in your life. Then one day, one moment in time, you were delivered from this oppressive state uh, of that emotional entrapment uh, of that failure and a lack of progress, which uh, was constantly thrown in your face. God delivered you one day. God delivers you by giving you the desires of your heart. Then the words of scripture become real. When it says in Ephesians 3:20 that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Do you believe that? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. For you, you have been delivered, as you understand the sheer impact and magnitude of the realness of God and His living words. It's not only a theology of the intellect, but a real theology, a theology of praxis that transcends all time, which breaks barriers, breaks down deception. It is creative, it is equipping, and builds you up all at the same time. It is a theology, while amazing, fantastic, and wonderful, remains in concord and agreement with all of Scripture. It is a theology, not of wishful thinking, but of truth anchored in the heart, mind, and person of Jesus Christ. So we must learn how to be content with who we are and where we are for the moment, so that there will be no need for something more that God had never intended for you in the first place. So you don't have to fake things or to be something that you're not because you don't know what life is going to throw at you. The one thing that you know, that if you in Christ, that you will come out on top. Can you say amen? amen? To live is Christ, Paul says, but to die is gain. Now, if all this is true, and it is, then how are we to exist? How can we then exist if we're going to be humble, Right? We've got to be humble before God and humble before people. How can we exist without the pressure of anxiety and nervousness about our future? Here it is. Throw all your uncertainties, fears, and cares to the Lord. Throw them. Don't throw them at him, throw them to him. Throw all your uncertainties, fears, and cares to the Lord. Verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here it is. Casting all your anxieties on him because he what? Cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for me. Cast all my fears, all my anxieties, all my uncertainties on Him because He cares for me. Cast all your fears, your anxieties, your uncertainty on the Lord because He cares for you. God cares for you. What is it? How high is that obstacle in your way? How deep is the hole that you're trying to get around doesn't make a difference god says in your mind and in your heart he says to cast it on him for he cares for you that doesn't mean it's going to disappear now does it doesn't mean it's going to disappear oh i'm going to cast oh i'm going to cast all i care on the lord and then i'm going to watch me i'm going to walk right through that wall because god is going to move it out the way wrong you're going to have a big knot upside your big head What are you planning on doing with all your anxieties anyway? What are you planning on doing with them? One of the I, I love about looking at the original language, and that is oftentimes you have a chance to see some things that are, are not easily translatable in the English, or it just wouldn't make sense if you were to place them uh, in the English the same way as you see in the original language. And one of those things is verse 7. So, so we read in our passage, it says... Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The original language says this Throw all your cares to him. Ah. Throw them all to him. Throw them all to him. Throw them. Throw them all to him. Throw them all to God. All anxieties, it says. All anxieties, the original language says. All anxieties of yours. All of them. Every single one. What can you think of? All of them. Throw them. All anxieties. That's how it says. All. All anxieties. All. Throw them to him. Throw them to him. Right now, I want you to think about every single thing that has you up late, at night, or wake early in the morning. Think about your changing health, those ever pesky finances, or worrisome children, sometimes seen all over the place. I want you to think about that job that's giving you grief, that you know that you can't do without. I want you to think about the school that may be stressful for you and all the major issues. I want you to think about your marriage, but some may wonder how I can even make it until tomorrow. And then think about those bills again that keep piling up making you again wonder how, oh God, how will I be able to make it? For the saints that Peter was writing to it was other matters. It was persecution. And how am I going to live with all these people after us all the time we say that we love Jesus Christ? How am I going to be able to survive as a believer? They're killing us. Now, if I miss something, if you're going through something, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down right now. And I want you to do something, whatever it is, whether it's you write it down in pen or pencil, or you wrote it down in your mind and your heart. I want you to take it, and I want you to throw it to God. Not in its face, but throw it as in giving. You see, you have been caring for these things a long time. Some of you some of you, you, we love to worry sometimes. Get up in the morning, we want to worry about this, that, and we, we, we know that we can't do anything about it. You know, they keep piling up. Stuff just piles up, doesn't it? Stuff piles up in your life. And the fact remains is that if you worried about every single thing, that you'd just be an emotional wreck. As a matter of fact, some people are emotional wrecked because they have not learned to cast all their cares, uh, all your cares, cast them onto the Lord that they're unable to do that. But brothers and sisters, I pray that that's not you. That even today, that if you walked in here worried about all these things, you said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do. Other than that, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be his image bearer in this place under the blood of the Lamb. What is it? Those things, they really, they really, really, they really plague you. They plague us. But it shouldn't be. The burden that you're carrying that God did not desire for you to carry that burden. Try it again. Why do you think you're supposed to cast it to the Lord? Because God did not design us to carry those burdens. They don't belong to us. Psalm 55, 22. Psalmist says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. All the anxieties and fears you continue to hold on to is doing nothing but raising your blood pressure and shortening your life. We're not designed to carry these things. We're not designed to be worried about it. This is a biblical principle in which believers should demonstrate a total dependence and trust on God. How do we find ourselves worrying about these situations when we have no business worrying about them? Bottom line is when we worry, we take the place of God because we think our worry will fix the problem. And as you know, by now, if you've lived on this planet for any amount of time, you know that all your worrying and all your, your, your stuff that you do and all those fears, that it has never fixed one thing. Now, if it has, then let me know. Because maybe you should be pre- preaching here, if you were worried, your worrying, and your fears, if that fixed anything. But remember what Jesus said about worry and anxiety. One more verse. Matthew 6, 27. Matthew 6, 27. Jesus says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You worry in vain. We worry in vain. What has happened that we have stopped trusting the Lord with all of our heart and instead trusting in our own ability to worry? Brothers and sisters, stop pulling your hair out. It starts with humbleness, understanding who God is, right? Humble yourselves before God and let him take care of your situation. Let God take care of your situation. He will do that. God will take care of your situation. Cast all your cares into the Lord, for he cares for you. He loves you. He wants to take every single thing off of your lap. You were not designed... To carry that burden. Will you trust the Lord today in that area? Will you trust the Lord today in that area? Give it to God. Some of you say, Well, I'm going to do that, but I'm not sure what's going to happen. But if it's in the hand of God, then your end will be better than your beginning. Let's pray.